If you're new with us, we're on week two of a series talking about the topic of sexuality. And I'm approaching this topic with gentleness and humility, knowing there's people in our midst right now at our church hurting and knowing I probably won't say everything exactly right. So I'm going to ask for your grace when I don't say it perfectly. But I want to tell you again my two bullseyes for this series. One is, even if you disagree with something said, I pray you feel deeply loved at CCV. In fact, if you're new or maybe you're watching this online and you wondered, if I ever showed up to that church, would I be loved? Would I be welcome there? And I want to just tell you, it's a definitive Yes, because CCV is a place for everyone to come experience the life-changing message of Jesus. Everyone. Amen. Can I get an amen? Can we clap on that? I'll, I'll tell you the same thing I told you last week, which is, hey, if, if you can withhold your applause at any time during the message throughout this uh, message and, and series, I might give you a chance at the end to applaud. But the only reason I'm doing that is because I don't want our applause to be misconstrued as someone isn't welcome and isn't loved. And trust me, I love when you applaud. I love it. I think I'm a better preacher when you applaud. I think I go quicker. Okay? <laughs> this message is probably going to be like an hour and a half. You know, people are clapping. Go! Let's close in prayer. Amen. Now, so i <laughs> But honestly, that's it. So I want you to feel loved, but that's not my only bullseye. My second bullseye is I want to teach you God's word. Because I believe God's word allows you to live your best life. And the most unloving thing I could do as your pastor is withhold the truth of God's word from you. Now, last weekend, I introduced you to two ideologies from the sexual revolution that show how we got here to this moment. Let me just quickly review. Okay, the first one is really the idea of expressive individualism. And expressive individualism simply says, I'm going to take my feelings and desires inside me, I'm going to make them God over me. My feelings and desires become my God. And remember, last weekend we said, Scripture says, your feelings and desires, your heart is deceitful above all things. So we need a higher authority over us, which is God and God's word speaking into our lives. The second ideology, which is deeper and more of an issue in my opinion, is not just our feelings and desires are above us. We've made sexuality the core of our identity. The sexuality and me expressing my sexuality becomes the most important thing in my life. I, I said this last week, I'll say it again because I think it's this important. This is the first time in human history a culture has taken sex from an activity, something you do to your identity, who you are. Now with that as the foundation, because that plays into this week too, with that as the foundation, if you missed last week, you gotta go back and catch up. With that as the foundation, today I wanna to talk to you about gender dysphoria or the transgender movement. Right up front, I know there's people experiencing gender dysphoria in our church. There's parents that have kids that are experiencing this or wrestling with, their, there's teachers here today that, that don't know what to do. There's business leaders and people in public policy that are just really trying to make, make this something that they handle well. I have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying and hundreds and hundreds of hours with people in the LGBTQ plus community. In my opinion, this is the most confusing out of all the topics we'll, we'll talk about. Just to give you an example, it was uh, years ago, I was with a, a group of people in the LGBTQ 
LGBTQ plus community. I've spent a lot of time with them because as a pastor, I really want to understand and get this right. And I was with a group and I was talking to them and just trying to understand. And the topic of gender and transgenderism came up. And I just began asking them questions because I was really just trying to understand. And the more I asked questions, I could tell there was this girl next to me. She was getting confused that I was still confused. And she was so sweet. It's not like she was getting mad, but she was kind of getting frustrated that I wasn't getting it. And finally, out of her frustration, she just said, have you ever seen the gingerbread man? And I'm like, gingerbread? I don't even like gingerbread cookies. Like, what are you? I'm thinking in my mind, gingerbread? She's like, no, gingerbread person. And I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. And so I'm going to show you what she showed me. And I don't show this to you at a shock value. This is widely, widely known in the transgender or sometimes referred to as the queer community or queer ideology. This is widely known as something that is very helpful to them in understanding gender. This is how they view gender. And here's what it looks like. This is the genderbred person. It's essentially the idea that gender is broken up into multiple areas. I'm just gonna walk, walk you through them. The first might be like up here with the mind, it's gender identity. Now this is completely separate. This is how you identify if you're a male or a female. And you can be on a spectrum. You could be sometimes male, sometimes female. It could be anywhere in between. It's how you identify regardless of your biological sex. Then there's the heart, which is who you're attracted to. And that might be completely different than how you identify. You might identify as male and be attracted to males as well, or be attracted to females and anything in between. Then there's your gender expression, which is how you dress or how you express yourself. And that can be completely separate from how you identify and who you're attracted to. And then there's your biological sex, how you were born, what sex you were born with. And that could be completely different than all the others. And all these are on a spectrum, which is what you see on the right. And so think about this. They can change day to day. They can change week to week. And all of them are completely different. So let me just give you a few scenarios. You can be a biological male, born biological male. You could identify as a female, dress like a female, but you could be attracted to males. You could be a biological female, identify as a male, dress like a female, and only be attracted to males, but be attracted to males and females, or be bi, anything in between. And again, it's all on a spectrum. This is why ABC News recently reported a mom saying this about their 12-year-old child. Some days Annie is a girl, some, some days Annie's a boy, and some days she's both. And this mom went on to describe that when they were going to buy Annie's graduation outfit, they bought both the dress and the suit because she said, I have no idea when we get to graduation day which gender Annie is going to be. And then she said this, Andy believes gender is more of a mental trait rather than physical. Now remember that, that wording. It's a mental trait whether, rather than a physical thing. Lodge that away. When you see the genderbred person and how gender is described today in, in trans ideology, anybody else, anybody else this is confusing? This is probably one of the most confusing things 
I've ever seen that it can change all. You can be a spectrum anywhere, everywhere. And by the way, this is now being used to, to teach our kids as well. They've made a gender unicorn, which is very kid-friendly to try to teach children at the youngest ages how to think about gender. Did God intend for us to be this confused when it comes to our gender and sexuality? I want to read to you a verse out of 1 Corinthians. And remember, the city of Corinth, I told you last weekend, was the most sexually out there culture in Jesus' day. It was an anything goes kind of culture. And into the city of Corinth, Paul writes the letter, 1 and 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about a very confusing thing that's going on in the church, but then he tells us a universal principle about God. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For God is not a God of what? Confusion but of peace, which means anytime you see massive confusion in a culture, it means that people have removed themselves from God's design because God is not a God of confusion. So the question is, how did we get here with the transgender movement? And today, I wanna introduce you to a third ideology with the sexual revolution that applies to everything, but I think it particularly applies to transgenderism, okay? And if you wanna go deeper on this, and we are going deep today, all right? If you wanna go deep today, I would suggest this book, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, probably one of the best books I've read in the last five years, but you better strap on your seatbelt because we are going crazy deep on this topic today. And the ideology I wanna talk to you about today that applies to transgenderism is the idea of personhood, okay? What is the world's view of personhood? And here's what it is. It's that we have a mind and we have a body and those things now are completely split in two. In other words, the mind, this is who I am as a person. This is really personhood, who I am. And then the body is separate. It's nothing. It's raw material with no moral value. And by the way, I'd encourage you to take notes, take pictures with your phones, whatever you need to do, because you need to let this grasp in. This is the idea of personhood in the world today. And it's essentially Darwinian evolutionary thought, because as Darwin said, there's no God. So if God didn't create you and you just evolved out of nothing, then your body means nothing and you can do whatever you want with your body. Three questions I'm going to answer today. One, what does God say about our body? Two, what does the science say? And then three, how can we love people really, really well experiencing gender dysphoria? Question number one, what's God's view of our body? God's view of personhood is completely different than the world's view of personhood. The world says this is split. God says biblically, you are one. You are made in the image of God, mind, body, and soul, completely interconnected and never designed to be separate. And God cares about your mind and your body, both of them. In fact, God created you with a body. Jesus came in a body. When you die and go to heaven again, you'll get another body. That's how spiritual your body is. In fact, in Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the very first chapter in the Bible, one of the first things God says about us, 
when he created us is this. Listen to this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How did he create us? Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, how God intended, how many genders are there? There's two. And there's only two. Because God's not a God of confusion, he's a God of, I just made you male, and I made you female. Now I want you to think deeply with me. Do you understand God could have made you genderless? You're like, what do you mean? I mean, how would we have sex or have babies? God could have done it any way he wanted to. I mean, at a certain age, if you wanted kids, your big toe could have pop, popped off and made a baby. I mean, God could have done that if he wanted to. He's the creator, he's the designer, not us. But what did God do? In his image, he created two genders, and without those genders, we lose the image of God. That's how deep this is. Some people think, well, when God made me, he made a mistake with my gender, almost like God was forming you and kind of messed up and messed up your gender. Does God make mistakes? Psalm 139, David describes God's creation for us. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The Hebrew for knit you together is as if God intricately with all care created you either male or female, exactly how you are. And then David goes on to say this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is where some people may bring up the topic of intersex. And what that means is that there is a crazy, crazy, rare, rare, rare birth defect where some babies are born and the genitals are not clear. It would be what would be formally referred to as a hermaphrodite. According to the National Library of Medicine, this happens in 0.018% of births. In other words, over 99.98% of the time, a baby is born with a Definitive sex, either male or female. Now, how do birth defects happen? We honestly do not know. Some of this could be related that we just live in a fallen and sinful world, and there's things that we have introduced into this world as sinful people that may cause some birth defects, but ultimately we do not know how birth defects happen. But think about it this way. In what other instance do we use a birth defect as informative for God's design? If a baby was born without an arm, would we say, oh, well, I mean, other babies, we should cut off their arms as well if they feel like it. There's no other example that we do that except when it comes to gender dysphoria. And some people may say this, well, why does God even care what I do with my body? You sometimes hear this, this in different instances, but it's my body, it's my choice. God, you keep your hands off. You keep your hands off my body, it's mine. Does God say your body's your own? Let's just read it again. The city of Corinth, the sexually culture that goes, 
any way you want it to in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, all other sins a person commits are outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And someone goes, bam, gotcha. God said it's my own body. You better keep reading. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? God says, your body is designed when you accept Jesus to become a temple. That's how big of a deal your body is. A temple that houses God's spirit, Jesus, inside of you. You don't think God cares what you do with your body? And he says this, you are not your own. Bam. Thought it was yours? It isn't yours one bit. I created you. I redeemed you. Jesus, in his body, came to earth. and That's interesting. Jesus came in a body, died on a cross on a body. He redeemed us. And Jesus says, your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. The price was my son, Jesus. Therefore, in other words, all this, the result is therefore what? Honor God with your bodies. Your bodies matter to God. In other words, the world will tell you today, your body is just a raw piece of material with no moral value. And the word says, God says, your body is made in God's image. Mind, body, and soul completely connected together. The big issue then in the transgender movement is this. What do you do if your mind and your body feel at war with each other? Like there's a war going on between what your mind says and your body says about your gender. And this really is the crux of the transgender movement. In fact, the BBC documentary put it really well. It said, at the heart of the debate about transgender children is the idea that your brain can be at war with your body. And I just want to acknowledge that is exactly where some of you are today. You feel like there's a war between your mind and your body. And if you feel that way with, with gender, you know who else says there's a war going on between their mind and their body? Christians. Did you know this? I want to read it to you straight from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 22. Paul says this. He says, my inner being delights in the law of God. In other words, Paul says, I love God's word and his design for me, what he wants for me. But then he goes on to say this. And I want you to read the bold out loud with me. But I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law in my mind. There's a war going on, and it's holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me. Here's what Paul's saying. All of us were born sinful. And if you don't think you're a sinful human being, wake up. I'm a sinful human being. All of us have sin inside of us, and because of sin, there's oftentimes a war going on inside of us between what I desire and God's design. And every single one of us has this war. Now, I'm not trying to, please hear me, I'm not trying to discount gender dysphoria and say it's not a big deal, because it's a very, very painful thing. But all of us experience this disconnect. Now, I'll just be transparent with me. 
when it comes to you know, sexual things too. There was a time in college where I was introduced at the time to internet pornography for the first time. It was, it was new at that, when I was that age. And I began to have a war inside myself of my, my desire to engage in this and then my understanding of God's design and there was a war at, going on inside of me. And by the way, since we're talking about sexual sin throughout this series, let me just say this, that when it comes to sexual sin, pornography today is 100 times a bigger issue than anything going on in the LGBTQ plus community, in the church especially. And, and the more you engage with porn, the more you look at people as a meat skeleton. They're, they're, just, they're just a skeleton. There was a, there was a girl at the BBC, and, and she, she actually said this. She actually said that <laughs> my body is just a meat skeleton and doesn't matter. All that matters is what I feel. And I'm telling you, the more you engage in porn, the more you start looking at people as a piece of meat. When it comes to this war inside of you, you you ever heard this saying before? How could something be so wrong that seems so right, feels so right? We're at war, and by the way, if, if you struggle with pornography or some other sexual sin, be careful judging someone else that sins differently than you do. And I've spoken on pornography and other sexual sins in the past in this church and provided help to people. This is the first time I've spoken on gender dysphoria, but we need to try to help people with the truth of God's word. So what do you do when your mind and body are at war? The world says, listen to your mind and alter your body. And the word says, let God transform your mind and embrace the body he gave you. That's what God's word says. Can I show it to you so clearly? Romans chapter 12. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. The word plead in the Greek is the same word that's used when people brought people with a physical ailment to the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, will you please heal them? And Paul says, I plead with you to bring your bodies to the feet of Jesus when there's a war going on. And then he says this, let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way you worship God. How do you worship God? Holy means to be separate. So we separate ourselves from the world and the world's ideologies, and we sacrifice our desires and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, God, you know better than I do. Remember we said last weekend, The world says, express yourself. And Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple will deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow after me. And then he goes on to say this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God, what's he do? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The greatest lie in our world today is that if there's a a disconnect or a war between your mind and your body, God can't renew your your mind. You just listen to your mind and just mutilate your body. 
Do whatever you want with your body. And one of the most confusing things to me with transgender ideology is there is no, zero thought behind helping people transform their mind. The only thought is go transform your body. It's because of that mind-body split. Nancy Piercy put it this way, why is it considered acceptable to carve up a person's body to match their inner sense of self, but bigoted to help them change their sense of self to match their body? Feelings can change, but the body is an observable fact that does not change. It makes sense to treat it as a reliable marker of gender identity. With all that said, what does the science say? How should we think about this from a medical or purely scientific standpoint? To to start that conversation, I just want you to pretend that you're a doctor. Like you know all the science, you've gone to medical school, and into your office walks a precious, beautiful, teenage girl who is anorexic and weighs 85 pounds and is hurting. And she says to you, my mind tells me my body is fat and overweight. As a doctor, would you be really, really scientifically sound to then say, okay, well if your mind tells you that, let's get you into surgery and let's do liposuction and let's bind your stomach up and let me give you some medication and pills that will help you lose weight. Would that be the right thing to do if you're a doctor? Well, I mean, she just wants to match her body with what her mind tells her because she has a mind-body disconnect. No. The most helpful thing you could do for that sweet child of God is to get her into a position where you can help transform her mind to match the reality of her body. Why would we do that in every other instance except when it comes to the topic of gender? Can I tell you one reason? There is big money to be had in the medical profession to carve up people's bodies and do these surgeries and to to introduce hormones. If you follow the money trail, you'll see this. Our hearts should break that we would ever take a young child and mutilate and carve up their body gender-wise. That breaks God's heart. It breaks who he says they are. And we should be heartbreaking over that. And someone would say this, but with gender dysphoria, their minds never change. Are you kidding me? The science says they change all the time. Dr. Paul McHugh from John Hopkins University said this, when children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, 70 to 80% of them spontaneously lost those transgender feelings. When you study the science out there, a lot of the studies collectively would say between 80 to 90% of people that don't go through the surgery, especially as kids, they change. They don't have the same feelings, because feelings change, your body is a fact. So why would so many parents and families and friends be so quick to embrace someone's gender when they say, 
hey, my mind tells me something different than my, my biological sex, so I'm going to change it. Why would we be so quick to embrace that and tell them, get the hormone treatments, get the surgeries? Because we have been told in our culture that if we don't embrace that with someone, they could commit suicide. In fact, this term is used a lot with parents. Parents, if you don't accept this and let them have the surgery or the hormone treatment, you can either have a living son or a dead daughter. And that is a form of emotional terrorism. That would be the equivalent of me or some other husband going to his wife and saying, listen, (laughs) the way I was born, what my mind says is I was not designed to be a monogamous husband. I'm sorry. And you have to affirm that in me. If you don't, I think I'm gonna commit suicide. So you have one of two choices, A or B. A, you can have an adulterous husband, or B, you can have a dead monogamous one. I think Jamie's going, I'll take B, you know? I don't know what she'd say, but I mean, do you understand the fallacy in this thinking? Part of the issue to me is that study after study after study shows that the suicide rate actually increases after surgery, after hormone treatment. And you're not being told that. In fact, you can go look up the stats for yourself, but I would be careful because if you know anything about statistics, you can make statistics say whatever you want because the sample size is so small. Hey, we sampled two people, 30 people. Statistically, you have to look at large sample size that are longitudinal. They're over long periods of time to get a statistically valid survey. I'm gonna give you the most statistically valid survey that exists in the world today when it comes to surgery on someone who has gender dysphoria. It was done in Sweden. In Sweden, what they did is they followed 324 people over 30 years. You won't find a more statistically valid study than that. And what they found is 10 years after the surgery, the suicide rate increased 20X compared to the general population. And that is heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Listen to scripture with what happens when we argue with our creator and how he created us. Isaiah chapter 45, verse nine through 10, what sorrow awaits awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot, remember we're the clay, God's the creator. Would a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to his mother, why did you make me this way? There is deep sorrow and destruction when we argue with our creator over how he created us. And you wanna know one of the reasons I think that the gender Reconstruction surgeries and hormone treatments are not doing what people think they're gonna do? Here's why scientifically. Did you know scientifically it is impossible to change your gender? You're not being told this, but let's just do the science. It is impossible, I don't care what you carve up, I don't care what you remove, I don't care what you add, I don't care what hormone treatments you put into a body, it is scientifically impossible to change someone's gender. Scientifically, here's what doctors would say. 
Every cell in your body has a sex. Did you know that? Not just your genitals, every single cell down to the molecular part of your body, every cell has a sex. So in other words, when a, when a man or woman's born, right, we look at like the genitals and we'd say, well gosh, the genitals are XXXY. No, every single part of your body, every cell is labeled XX or XY, male or female. Do you know that? Every organ, every piece of skin cell, everything, which means what? Your brain is labeled as a sex. Your skin cells, your vocal cords, your muscles, your lungs, your heart, your stomach, your liver, every cell in your body is labeled male or female. Which means you can cut something off, reconstruct something, give hormone treatments, you cannot genetically change the gender in which you were born and God created you. You can't. And that is why it is a fallacy to think you can change your gender. Gender is not a social construct, it's a design by God. Which means what? If we don't define sex by biology, how can we be able to define sex or gender? How would we define it? The answer is nobody knows. We can't. In fact, the only way you can actually define gender without biology is by appearance, by stereotypes, by the way someone looks. And this is why when Caitlyn Jenner came out and said, I'm a woman, not a man, and went through you know, all, the, all the reassignment surgeries and hormone treatments, how did Caitlyn present herself to the world? Here's the cover of Vanity Fair magazine when she introduced herself to the world. Women's rights activists came out and said, this picture just set us back 50 years. Because what most people don't understand about the transgender movement is they don't remove stereotypes. The transgender movement, it, it just expands, it multiplies stereotypes. Is this a woman? Do, would we define a woman as cleavage-boosting, skin-showing, sultry-posed females with thick mascara, lipstick, and curled hair? Is that the definition of a woman? If we can't describe it biologically, our only option is to describe it using appearance, and it's a stereotype. I mean, if you're a girl here today and you don't like wearing makeup or curling your hair or showing your cleavage or a lot of skin, does that make you a male? I mean, if you're a man here today, you're a biological man, and you don't like the typical stereotypical things, you don't like football, you don't have big muscles, you're super scrawny, you're into the arts and poetry, does that make you feminine? Hey, if you're a biological female today, you love football, you love like fast cars, and you love watching movies like John Wick and Gladiator, does that make you a male? It makes you awesome, that's what it makes you. Like, praise God for that, you know? But are, are we tired of stereotypes today? Women especially have worked so hard to get beyond all these stereotypes on them. And what the transgender movement does is it amplifies the stereotypes because we have no other way of describing gender. By the way, it is impossible to protect women's rights if we can't define what a woman is. And by the way, the demographic that is harmed the most by the sexual revolution, period, 
is women and children. And it's time for men to step up and realize this as, as wanting to like protect this. If, if gender isn't biology, hey, you can be a male, you can identify as a female and dress up and play on a women's athletic team. And it's happening today and it is wrong. You can walk into a bathroom with young children there and it's wrong. But listen, women aren't just being harmed. Everyone's being harmed with transgender ideology. Do you know study after study has shown that the strongest correlation for someone having same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria is not genetic, it's not family origin, it's not your relationship with your mom or dad. Study after study, this isn't Christian, this is scientific, study after study shows the strongest correlation between someone being same-sex attracted or having gender ideology is something called childhood gender nonconformity. It is basically when a child growing up feels like they are different than the stereotypes that they've been told around them. When I read that, I wept. I did because we have so many young boys being told, you're feminine, you're a girl. And so many young girls, precious children of God, like I have three girls. I couldn't imagine someone telling one of my girls who's more rough and tumble and doesn't like the stereotypical things that girls like and those, you're a man, change your gender. I have friends who struggle with their sexuality one of them told me that when he was growing up, his dad and all of his friends made fun of him because he didn't like sports and wasn't the typical male. Like typical what they would say is a male. Christopher Yuan, who's gonna be here next Sunday night at 6.30 p.m., you'll hear more details about that. I hope you, I hope you come to that. He said this, when he dug into the roots of his same-sex attraction, all through grade school and into college, he said, I was sensitive, I was nerdy, I was horrible at sports, all I loved was music and the arts, and I never felt fully accepted. And I just feel the need to say this to someone here today. Sometimes the church can permeate these stereotypes of male and female. We get really narrow. This is what a man is. This is what a female is. And if you've ever felt that at our church, I just wanna to apologize to you. We have to do better. Biblically, David, a man after God's own heart, he played the harp. He danced. He danced half naked in front of his friends. I mean, he wrote poetry. He wrote most of the Psalms. Is he not a man? Hey, Deborah in the Bible was a woman. She was fierce. She led the troops into battle and, and, and conquered all these people. I could see her wearing eye black on. Is she not a female? Don't you dare, dare believe the lie just because you feel different, you are not a man or you're not a woman. Someone look at me. If no one's ever told you this before, you are a man. You're a godly man that God wants to use. Don't you believe what this world tells you? And listen, there's a female here. If you're born biological female and you feel different, you are a beautiful child of God. And God wants to use you. Don't believe the lies. How do we love people that struggle or experience gender dysphoria? Number one, if that's you, 
We will not reject you at this church. We will not mock you. We will love you. And number two, we will help guide you back to who God says you are so you don't listen to the lies of this world. You listen to the truth and the goodness that God has for you. CCV, are you glad to be a part of a church that wants to balance that kind of grace and truth? You can clap for that. Every week of this series, I wanna end by us reading scripture to just ground us together in God's word. And so I wanna ask you to read this verse out of Ephesians chapter four. If you feel comfortable today, would you read along with me? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, we pray in the power of your name today for anyone struggling in our midst with their sexuality. God, I wanna pray that they would listen to your word and not this world, and that they would trust so deeply in their heart that you have good in store for them if they would just submit themselves to you. And where this world says, go express yourself, well, they understand that Jesus says, we gotta deny ourselves and place ourselves at the feet of Jesus to find all the peace and hope and comfort we want in this world. It only comes from you. And I pray as a church that we would continue to love well with grace and truth in this and every topic you talk about. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all of us said, amen, amen. Hey, I, wanna, I want you to welcome your host to the stage right now who has some additional resources uh, that are gonna, really gonna help you. Would you welcome them?